Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of, the podcast, where we explore the struggles of life, the challenges of mental health and recovery, and the spaces between. We express our personal views on life here, and this podcast is not meant to replace medical advice or tell anyone the right way to live. This podcast is best used as a place of curiosity and questioning to accompany you on your journey. Be aware there is strong language. This week, we're picking up where we left the conversation off last week. Here we go. What mood is at you at this time? Why do you get high to change the seat you're in? What mood is at you at this time? Middle school, yeah, not uh, not a great time for me necessarily. You know, I, tra- I kept trying to fit in. Um, so my town, even though it's in Baltimore, is is was extremely uh, white, I guess to say. Um, and when I made this transition to the other school, that was a better school. I was introduced to other people. I, I had no idea, but you know, um, going from basically only interacting with white people my whole life and going to school with white people. And then I go to this middle school and there's a class of 30 kids and there's seven of us that are white. And it was, Mm. I mean, it wasn't scary or intimidating, but it was a whole new world to me. And it was like, Oh my God. And, and what cool was, was being redefined in front of my eyes culturally. I was like, Oh, there's a whole different cultural cool now. Right. And like, I needed a starter jacket for the winter. I didn't know that. right? (laughs) Right. But I, I liked certain teams. I mean, I liked the Orioles. I grew up in Baltimore, right? But we didn't have a football team when I grew up, so I liked the Broncos or whatever. But I couldn't get a Orioles or a Broncos starter jacket. Mm. That, that's not cool. Had to get an Atlanta Falcons starter jacket. Why? <laughs> I don't fucking know. That's one of the acceptable teams that it was cool. Um, just shit like Michael that, Vick. man. Yeah. Well, I think this was pre-Michael Vick. I don't know why Atlanta was popular. Probably just because it was Atlanta, and that's a popular place. Um <laughs> But yeah, I, it was always trying to be what I wasn't, right? I, I didn't know what the cool shit was. I wasn't even in touch with the cool shit. I didn't even know what I was. I spent my first half of middle school um, hanging out with my best friend named Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we would listen to rap and we were writing raps and like, that's what we were doing. And that's what was cool. And then I don't know, somewhere in seventh grade, Wayne's World came out and I started listening to Aerosmith and then <laughs> Pearl Jam was out and shit. And yeah. like, I, I don't know, like it was me trying on life, you know, what, what fits, what feels good. Um, but all that feels like, I don't know who I am and all that feels like I should know who I am and what the fuck's wrong with me. And it, the whole narrative, the story was something's wrong with me and that's what I'm looking for. Right. Every step of the way. So when things went well, didn't go well, or, or things were poor, or I showed up in a way that didn't feel good, it was obviously me. Um, odd things about middle school, we had these things called class battles. All the boys from one class would uh, run into all the boys from another class in the hallway between classes, and we would fucking fight. Like <laughs> all day, every day for weeks, there would be like yeah. certain class battles. And like, it was usually around the gym area cause it wasn't monitored. And like, wow. I don't know. I got really hurt one day. Like <laughs> yeah. I don't, what the fuck was going Sounds on in middle terrible. school? Yeah. <laughs> what was happening at that place? I don't wow. know. It was crazy. Hmm. The, the security guard at my school ended up getting shot with his own gun one day. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe I didn't train by a student or by himself, by somebody who wasn't a student who mm-hmm. came into the building. I oh, know. okay. Yeah, weird situation. Gosh. Could have been a lot worse. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that was all weird. That was my middle school experience for the most part. Um, towards the end, a couple of, of uh, people expressed interest in me, like romantically, which was a new thing for me, which 
um, something about that, man, became a real big draw for me in my life, right? Mm. This feeling of like being wanted, you know, of, of somebody putting in effort and thinking about me when I'm not there and, you know, writing me nice letters. And I, it was, I never had thought of myself as an attractive dude. I always just thought I looked weird. Uh, and I had a big forehead and whatever. <laughs> so it, it was a, it was a weird thing. Um, but quickly became, uh, you know, one of, one of my first coping and relief seeking things, mm-hmm. uh, right up there, you know, and it ties very strongly in with sex and intimacy and all that. Um, there, there's a program sex and love addicts anonymous. And I feel like those go hand in hand for me. Like they're, they're tied in pretty tight. Uh, the, the summer going between middle school and high school, it, I don't know if you remember like that summer of difference for you or if that's the time it hit but it really felt like it was the first time I ever went away from home I went and worked at a summer camp for like I don't know two months over the summer with the Boy Scouts so I had a crazy situation in Rising Sun we didn't specifically have a middle school so elementary school went up to sixth grade and then middle school and high school were in the same building from seventh through twelfth yeah, and you know, I should probably be more specific because people across the U.S. do this in different versions in their locality. So for me, uh, kindergarten through fifth grade, then sixth through eighth was middle school, and then ninth through twelfth was high school, which is, yeah. I think, the norm around here. But yeah. Not everywhere I get that. Right. Um, that is an interesting thing. I don't know. I guess just being outside of my family home and not having my parent oversight for weeks it was a very new and interesting experience mm, and like yeah, meeting right. people with like i were i was like 14 i guess and i was around these other older teenagers 16 18 some of them i'm sure were smoking pot and doing stuff at the time but like they had those ideas of like fuck the man that i had never heard before <laughs> and it was like a whole new world to me here i am with no parental oversight hearing people say fuck the man and reading these cool books about opening your mind and uh it was neat um i remember picking up smoking that summer cigarettes smoking yeah. cigarettes yeah it started off with like these fucking camel unfiltered or something mm-hmm. or Maybe even Paul Mall unfiltered or some crazy shit that I could get my hands on. Um, and my buddy could, I had already gotten in trouble for smoking before because my buddy could buy them and I wanted to be cool. So I bought them from him, but never actually smoked them. Um, and then I was getting like these true blues out of the fucking cigarette machine at Giant. And I ended up getting, Wawa had cigarettes back then. They had their own brand called Jack's. I don't know whatever happened to them. Wow. They were a dollar a pack, though. <laughs> I could get a carton for $11 yeah, after tax. That's crazy. I know. It's nuts, isn't it? Um, before I got to high school, uh, one, of, one of the bullying events that sticks with me is there was a fair in, in my town. And I was down there just hanging out. And this boy and, and his posse, I guess, or whatever, his crew were hanging around and they wanted to they wanted me to go in the alley and fight. And like I was terrified. I, I thought if I go in this alley they're gonna all beat me up and, and you know I, I don't know. I'm always the guy that had and I don't know where this anxiety level comes from, but I would be walking through my bathroom and I would use the bathroom and I'd be walking out and I would see a tiny little piece of toilet paper that got dropped next to the trash can, right? And I would go about my day and five minutes later, I'd be walking back to pick that up because the story in my head says, I know somebody is going to bend over and try to reach that and they're going to fall and bust their head and die. And it's going to be all my fault for not just taking care of it. Wow. 
And I don't know where the fuck that comes from, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that was always my story. And it still is a lot of times. And like the story that day was, if I go in this alley, I'm going to fall the wrong way and I'm going to hit my head and I'm not going to be here anymore. And I couldn't move from, I was sitting on the curb as they were like trying to make me stand up to, to fight me basically. Um, and I ended up, I don't know how it got engineered or the idea got started, but I, I bought my way out of it. I gave him mm. $20 and I kissed his shoe. Mm. And I, you know, just remember feeling so demeaned. And I bring it up because going into high school, I went to a high school that most of the people in my neighborhood didn't go to again. So I was like, cool, I get to reinvent myself All and right. not be this awful thing that I feel like carry inside of me, this shameful, weak, pathetic man, you know? And, uh, Somebody from my neighborhood, I remember them coming to my high school and telling people about that fucking yeah. story, and I hated them. I was wow. like, you bitch. Ah, bastards. I know. Yeah. Got me. Okay. It's okay. Uh, it, people didn't need to know. I showed up in ways that I couldn't protect myself without that story. <laughs> um, high school, man, shit got crazy. Uh, and In good ways, in my mind, for at that time at least, I... Uh, started seeing these people who looked on the outside like I felt on the inside, like they did not fucking belong in our society, <laughs> right? They had crazy colored hair. They had, oops, sorry. Uh, they had clothes that didn't fit quite right and just looked a little odd. And, and they hung out in these big groups at lunch. And um, I would just like, and this was outside. We had lunch a lot of times. So I would go out and I would just start sitting closer to him because i didn't ever know how to meet new fucking people i'd never done that <laughs> right uh, and eventually i got in a little group and we passed this thing around and i thought it was weed that's what they told me and i'm smoking it and i'm acting high and it wasn't weed come to find out or hmm. some other shit but this was the group that i i got with that did introduce me to you know what we call drugs or substances and uh life changed instantly that was high school high school yeah huh. ninth grade very early on um Smoked weed and for the so first time, grade, in my like fourteen ish. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I was fourteen. Um, definitely felt relief in a way I had never felt relief before, mm. and didn't understand those kind of words at the time. I just said, "This is fucking awesome. Right. <laughs> I'm going to do it again as soon as it stops feeling this way." Right. Yeah. Um, from that first moment, it was not like people have conceptualized this as we lied to kids about how dangerous drugs were and so when they smoked marijuana and found that nothing bad happened they just assumed that it was all lies and they couldn't believe any of the information i don't know if that's actually the process that happened that happened in my brain but i can tell you once marijuana felt good it was a matter of how many more and what else you got and like i never had concerns i don't want to say i never had concerns of safety but i really it was it was never a question it was never like a am i not gonna do this it was what's the safest chance of me doing this, you know? Um, And so very quickly it became any pills people had. We crushed stuff up and snorted it. It was over-the-counter stuff. It was prescription stuff. It was whatever. Um, Didn't get a lot, like, in my group or whatever, we weren't introduced to, like, any of the opiate kind of stuff at that point in time. It was other shit that we were fucking Well, I think in general, too, kids are kind of, I mean, teenagers anyway are, kind of impulsive and kind of whatever and if everybody else is doing it it must be fine like you just don't think much beyond the immediate (laughs) i mean i think that's pretty normal because i remember being the same way like i don't know what is that okay i'll do it everybody else yeah i'll try it i don't care well (laughs) and and i i will say this in these words now and it's definitely not how i would have described it at any other point but like today 
when I smoked weed for the first time was the first time I felt warm and fuzzy. Mm. And that's what I had been looking for my whole life, and I didn't understand that. And, and yeah, I wanted fucking more of it. And, and I found a lot more of it, right? There was, um, somehow, I, with no money, I managed to, like, steal change out of my parents' change reserve or something and fund cigarettes for four years every day, a pack a day, and weed. And I don't know. Times were good back then. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that just became life pretty quickly was life's good if you have this to be able to get you out of the way life actually feels, which is not good, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I got some real different opinions about that at this <laughs> point in my life. Um, but yeah, it, it was, you know, I remember being introduced to like acid pretty early on for some reason. We had acid and I took it and just like took it and went to school. I never thought anything about how will right. this impact me? Will I be able to handle it? I'm like, I'll be fine. It's great. Um, Feeling like I actually connected with people for the first time. I didn't realize yeah. that then, but feeling then like, oh, man, I found my people. This was what was wrong. I just right. didn't have my people, you know? And, and like, understanding now in my life, I actually think that is a key component of a good life, having my people and knowing <laughs> who the fuck they are and keeping them around me. Um, had sex for the first time in freshman year. Uh, dated a girl that was, like, four years older than me. Um Ended up losing my virginity in the woods. Didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Could not have told you where the hole was. <laughs> right. She put it in. Right. Probably lasted eight seconds. I don't <laughs> right. know. Right. Probably awful. Um, we, we tried a bunch more times at her house. <laughs> um, didn't learn a whole lot about it, except it was a good escape. You know, it felt nice. First experience of love after that i guess and the torment and torture of what that's like to try to care about somebody and with her or someone else with someone else uh i think she was in love with me had my first experience of trying to break up with somebody when you're not really feeling like dealing with how often they call you anymore <laughs> and uh they don't want that so that was kind of yucky but um yeah moved, moved on to the first love thing that was chaotic and manipulative and probably looked a lot like you know what my parents relationship looked like but with even more chaotic people in it because we were teenagers and a lot of hormones right um, found out very early on that i i you know from the critical side you could call me a serial cheater uh or somebody who doesn't have many morals or whatever but yeah would quickly step out of relationships for the momentary relief of whatever somebody else was providing me you know um, well, there's a concept, too, in our generation, and I, I hear it now, and it seems still so weird to me of, like, that people date that you would not just, like, in our generation, it felt like, anyway, you got a girlfriend, and you guys were, like, committed and together, yeah. and there was exchanging of jackets or rings or some <laughs> symbol that, right. you know, were us, and then, you know, but the idea that you would, like, date a couple of different people or that you would just see different people and go out like that wasn't a thing. <laughs> like, right. Get to know people. Right. You mean give it a chance to fail. <laughs> and like now in my life, I hear that. I'm like, wow, that sounds so fucking healthy. Yeah. Like you might date a couple of different people and right. go, oh, I really like this about a person or I really uh -huh. like that. Or I don't like this. I don't like yeah. that. They treat me this way. Like all that's so fucking healthy <clears throat> sounding, but it's like, God, I was so desperate to be loved. It was like, I remember meeting a girl at a party at 19 and we drove down to like 
a pier at Fells Point and just sat there and talked all fucking night long till the morning. And then we were together. You know, we shared all our worst miserable shit. We accepted it about each other. And then mm-hmm. we figured out how to move in by two days later. Right. I'm like, yeah, I just thought that was how relationships were. <laughs> right. That's how you do yeah. it. Um, so, yeah, grades plummeted because who's got time to worry about that kind of shit, right? right. I got to focus on the shit that makes me Living feel good. now. Right, right. There's there's drugs and there's women. And both of these <laughs> things make money. me feel great. <laughs> um and I just need more of that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I just skip class all the time, skip school all the time. You talked about your buddy. I had a buddy. His brother dealt weed. We would, it would live four houses from where his parents lived. So we would leave school. We'd walk by. We'd buy something from his brother. We'd go to his house, order a Domino's deep dish, turn on some music videos, and we were set for a good day of life. Right. You know, take a nap if you needed. Um, couldn't get anything together. Couldn't Had no idea who the fuck I was, what I was doing, just did what felt good in the moment, sought pleasure. Like, I look at that now and say I had no programming to say this is how you have to treat yourself to feel good and you can't just give yourself these once in the moment all the time. Like, I never got that programming or training or modeling. Um, But I didn't know that then. I just said, man, this shit all feels way better than what the fuck I had before it. Let's roll. Well, there's a little bit of weird social conditioning that doesn't help anyone, I think, that we kind of tell kids at 15, 16, 17, you're supposed to be figuring out who you are and what you're about and what you want to do with the rest of your life and have a goal to get that done. And, like, for a, a lot of young people, like, that's fucking, one, it's ridiculous, and two, it's completely overwhelming, so it's easier to just go, ah, fuck all that, I'll just go have fun. Right, right. Yeah. I'm fucking 43, Billy, still trying to figure right. out who the fuck Yeah, I it's am. a lifelong journey, Today, and you ask half, of their, <laughs> ask half of their parents who they are. They don't even know who the fuck they are. Right. They hate their job. They're miserable. They're stuck in some kind of debt from school that they didn't even use. But they're going to push their kids to make the same exact choice. <laughs> Here you go. Some fancy person put this on TikTok. Here's the recovery sort of challenge. I want you to take a piece of paper and fold it in half, right? On the left column, write my morals and values, the things most fucking important to me. And then on the right side, look through your day and write what your actions prioritize. Is it those morals and values? I don't know. But anyway. For me, it wasn't. (laughs) So, yeah. So, I think for a lot of us kids at that age going through that, it's like, oh, I don't. Like, none of that sounds appealing, figuring out where I want to go to college and what I want to do with it. I'm living in the here and now, fucking loving life and beautiful people and having neat experiences as a young adult living in the world. <laughs> yeah, and I want somebody to teach me about the shit that I'm discovering and becoming curious about, not all the bullshit you're trying to shove down my throat. Right. Meet right. me where I'm at. I am curious. I need teachers. Right. Just not about the shit you're trying to teach me, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, I couldn't get on board with school. I, I grades plummeted, I failed, I barely went. I did summer school a couple times. I ended up not going my senior year because I couldn't go to the school I went to and the school that I had to go to is not a safe school, uh, in my mind. Um, my parents offered to send me to a private school. I declined because I just had no fucking interest. Right. Honestly. Um I did get my my good enough diploma or whatever, my GED, before 
the kids in my class graduated. <laughs> I signed up and took the test and felt extra fun for that. I was like, cool, I finished before them. Um, on the drug use side, like it was generally just the weed, the things we did. But then there was a time when we didn't have weed and my buddy's brother didn't have any to sell us. And like instantly it wasn't like, what should we do now? Instead, it was like, we got to find different drugs. <laughs> we don't have another weed dealer. And so like me and this other guy are walking across this dark park into this neighborhood that, I, I, you know, look, let me just talk from Jason's body. White people don't belong here, especially not at night. Right. One in the morning. And then we're going in a dark alley. I don't know what the fuck we're doing, man. We could have been killed. I have no idea. Right. I'm just trying to. That's how I, I say that to say that's how much it hurt to exist without the thing on the other end right. of that chart. I was so willing to get out of yes. myself. Right, right. So we get down there. I don't know what I'm doing. We're trying to buy cocaine. I have never done cocaine. I don't even know what the fuck to expect. Some guy on the corner offers me a girl. I think he's selling me a prostitute. I say no. Uh, we don't want prostitutes like come to find out that's the terminology in baltimore cocaine is girl heroin is boy i'm ex you know exploring a whole new world now. <laughs> right. um and that just basically became life you know I, I i tried to live um got a job at royal farms i met a girl who had a kid and you know pills were around and some heroin was around and and like things felt okay and then, and then crack was around and like all these, these things. I, I just didn't know what the fuck I was doing, Billy. I, there was no plan. There was no, this is how I get out of this. This is how it gets better. I, I was just going about it, man. It became over time, every time I tried it, uh, a, a similar day in the life of Jason, you know, wake up, try to get 10 or 15 or $20, whatever it is I need that day. I got to have the, the heroin to be okay, but then at the end, it's got to be a speedball or I don't even feel it, so I got to get a little bit of Coke to go with that, and then I need $5 for my ride over to get it. Like, And then after you get the one, you, you go about it again. How can I get the next $20? So up until the point between where you first you know, picked up using for the first time and like maybe Slow me heroin or coke or some of the other stuff. No, I'm just saying, were there any like legal consequences? Were you able to see like that? Like, cause I think people socially use those drugs in high school and don't end up into right. chaotic use as well, we did. What, like what, yeah. it, was that an immediate, like right into chaotic use? Was it manageable for a time? Were there consequences that were indicators that it was a problem that you didn't recognize? Depends on how you look at it. <laughs> uh did it turn into chaotic use like the day after i snorted cocaine with my buddies and we enjoyed the hell out of it did i chase it for the next three months every day no but you bring up an interesting point that i had forgot about until you just asked and that night when we did that i went and stole money from my father four hundred dollars mm -hmm. after we did the first one because i wanted more mm -hmm. and i knew where that money was yeah so that seems pretty fucking unmanageable. I'm not a right. guy that wants to steal from my dad. Right. Right. But I mean, through so, and I just asked that because, like, even in my early, like, I was already had been arrested by the age of 17 for mm. drinking and driving and using no. and some other stuff. No interaction with the law prior yeah. to 18, except when I was 17 and things had gotten pretty bad. I was basically never home, staying at a friend's house. Um, were your parents aware of your 
using or knowing something was going on. Or yeah, well, that's what that they up. did. They they came with the police to yeah. get me. Uh, you know, as like a wellness check. Um, and they basically, I, I I don't even know if I had options or rights. I'll be honest, I know fucking dick about my rights as a human <laughs> being in America. I don't know what I'm allowed to say no to with the police or not. I've heard so many fucking stories that like. I just generally say yes. I'm like, I don't fucking know. Can I say no? And they tell me I can't. I'm like, all right, then yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I don't know, like, what I agreed to in, in that whole thing. So was there any, like, interventions as far as oh, well, therapy they sent me to, or treatment or any of those Yeah, that's where they sent me to like, detox. high school to... They, they sent me to detox. So I quit high school. I worked at the farm store, Royal Farms. Uh, I call it the farm store. Yeah. where i'm at i don't know why um oh, that's what it was called that's I what i thought too. yeah yeah it used to be the farm store so <laughs> uh things got bad i lost my job there i'm at this guy's house smoking crack all the fucking time doing heroin still i think probably uh like not eating all day fucking long and then at the end of the night like just i BS because I've, my body's fucking tortured from smoking crack all day. Like, I couldn't eat very well, so I would eat a mustard sandwich, mm. which is mustard on bread, just like it sounds. <laughs> um, and, like, a month of that and remembering, and this is gross and too much information, but remembering, like, the bowel movement being mm. so difficult and, like, hurting me and, and, and all that for, like, nothing to come out. Yeah, and it's just incredible. Like right, right. Exactly. <laughs> There's like nothing be, being put right, into my nutrients. body. Remembering at one point seeing myself, and I don't remember at which stage this is or where, but like I was so fucking gray and sunken in, I looked like an actual skeleton while I was still walking. Like no nutrition, no ability to care about myself. Um, funny, because the world and my caregivers taught me that I wasn't as important as the stuff. And so I created a stuff and a substance in my life that became much more important than taking care of myself. Imagine that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know exactly where it got. They came and got me with the police and they did send me to detox. That and you were how old at that age? 17 still. Okay. It was like four months before my 18th birthday. Okay. Um, and I went to detox for the first time, got introduced to that and and it was nice to clean up. And they, <laughs> right. I think at the time they were still like heavily medicating people as they withdrew. So it was kind of not that bad. Um, and then I came home and like, I think I didn't do anything for like six days. And then I was like, weed was never the problem. <laughs> and then I went and smoked weed and, and drank for like a year and a half. Well, and I, so for me, you know, when my using started to progress, even with the like drinking and weed, but when the grades started to slip a little and sports started to go away and that using started to take over, like I guess my parents tried to intervene in a few ways. They tried, you know, they sent me to therapy. They would ask. Now, I didn't want anything to do with anything they had to say, right. but at least they made attempts did your family try to yes intervene or did they see things that they'd be like hey what's going on you know let's see um i there are probably more attempts than this because my family was not like they did love me and care about me and they did try to do some things right i'm not right. trying to take that away from them. i don't remember a ton i do remember one where i went and saw a therapist I think just like one time or twice, but it was really somebody to prescribe medicine. They said, oh, I talked to him for a while. They talked with me. They said, oh, he's bored at school. He's not being challenged. He's having trouble focusing. It's ADD. And they gave me Ritalin. 
hmm. which was great because I just took a few of them and I felt awesome. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, so yeah, I abused the fuck out of that. Um, I do remember him doing that. There had to have been other stuff. So you'd been you had been diagnosed with a condition and given prescription medications. Yeah, but I never put any stock into it. Like I never interestingly never once have i as an adult like identified with that person who got Late diagnosed adhd right. like that's weird to me but mm. i i do think i probably have a version of it for sure um but it's interesting that i don't even like classify i'm like eh, they just fucking gave me medicine they, they gave me <laughs> what i wanted um I, i'm sure there was other stuff but yeah at this time at 17 they got me they sent me to a detox um yeah, I, I things actually went well for a while. I got a job. I, the job liked me. I got promotions. I started being a manager. Went to McDonald's manager school. Hmm. Uh, made friends. I was doing weed and alcohol. We were partying. It felt good. I had buddies. We watched wrestling. Like shit was cool. You know, I hung out with a crowd that was loving to me, and we didn't do hard drugs. And uh, it's interesting to see that now that like who you're around can actually impact that kind of stuff. Ah, oh, yeah. Um. Ended up chasing a, a female that I was interested in somehow b it back into heroin. Uh, and then everything went downhill, of course, and back to that same old life, you know, every time of how do you get more money? Do you, are we going to the stores to, to steal fucking phones and ibuprofen and crab meat today? Or, you know, is this a day so, we do well, something else? Through that time where you said things felt pretty good and all that, was it really just the girl that took you back, or was there still that sense of, you know, wanting to escape or wanting to? Oh, I'm sh I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it's just a. No, no. The there was still a part of me that didn't feel whole or good or I don't know what words y'all out there use to describe. Right. Just not. Yeah. Right. Still something missing. Discomfort. Still, yes. You know, dis-ease. Mm. My soul was still in a state of dis-ease. Right. Um, so, yeah. I, and, and my belief is that's the thing I'm supposed to be working with in my life is my level of dis-ease. Because that's what tells me what I have to do when the moment comes mm. where there's a relief of pleasure available. Right. And if I'm at a certain level of dis-ease or thirst, I'm going to go for that water when I'm at a certain level and I need to be able to keep my level low enough that I get a choice. That's right. kind of how I look at my life. Um, so yeah, it, it was something just, uh, you know, maybe it was that life was fun for a while and seemed cool for a while, but then after 18 months it lost his luster and was just what you do every day and got boring. I don't know. Right. You know, could be that. Um, where did it go from there? Always downhill. Always, <laughs> you know, always like, there was some kind of stealing or scheme or somebody's girlfriend was, was a stripper or, you know, somebody was copping for somebody else and getting ripped off or, you know, I ripped people off. Like, it, it was just a fucking mess getting in, in trouble with the law. Like, my first run-in with the law was actually from, I had a traffic stop in Ocean City and I, they didn't find my weed, but they fucking gave me a ticket for a lights being out or some shit and then i never paid it and then they fucking came to baltimore and arrested me <laughs> wow right yeah Holy shit. i was so pissed in central booking and scared as fuck oh yeah i was 18 yeah. and then like 
somebody knocked my towel on the floor and I tried to use a dry towel and some large man told me I better fucking not. And I'm like, oh my God, what, what am I? <laughs> I don't belong here. I'm right. too sensitive for this shit. Um, but yeah, like I remember coming out of that, no matter how scared I was in it, coming out of that because I had always felt not tough enough, not manly enough, feeling like, oh yeah, having this notch means something. <laughs> right. right. And I tried to hold on to a lot of that in my life. Like, I don't know why, but there's some stupid idea that like kids from the city are tougher than kids from the county. Right. So I <laughs> held on to that. I'm like, yeah, I'm right. from the city and right. I've been I've been locked up now. And, you know, after I had actually done prison time, I came home with that. Like, yeah, I've been to prison now right. and I got a fucking tattoo. Now what? Right. Like none of it meant shit. <laughs> it meant that I, I had some better ways to hopefully keep people from attacking me because I didn't right. want to get hurt. Um but yeah, man, chaotic use. I, I don't know what you want to know about what it looks like or what it looked like up here in the city. It looks like running around in fucking awful parts of town all day, uh, on and off, and in terrible fucking alleyways and abandoned houses trying to shoot drugs or take a shit, depending on what you got to do at the moment. Like shooting puddle water that has obvious rainbow-colored oily shit in it. <laughs> like it's fucking ugly, man. It looks terrible. You. you it looks like death amongst the living in ways, you know? But I'm sure there was a community there, or did you have a community, or were you pretty much so... I, I wasn't as communityed up as a lot of the community. Like, a lot of it in my neighborhood was the older heads that were, you know, the community portion of it. And so, like, I got to know some of them peripherally. Um, but I really shied away from that because I didn't trust nobody, so I never gave nobody my fucking money. And okay. they often didn't trust you know, me to get their shit for them, which is probably wise a lot of times. Uh, so, yeah, I, I ended up being, a lot of times I would be the guy that had the car, so I was making the $5 per person, riding them around, mm. so I got to know people that way. But, yeah, it didn't feel like How much of a community. How did you maintain the car? It didn't work for long. I had, like, <laughs> quick downhill stints, okay. you know. Put, put 25 cents in the gas tank. It'll get us back, back over. Uh, and did you try to work, or how did you support yourself? Was it just through theft and stealing was there random jobs yeah i didn't have any real any real work in me um it was work was all day every day getting more mm -hmm. there wasn't no time for anything else every time i tried it didn't last long i was stealing from them or taking too long to leave to come back i think i tried a couple of pizza delivery jobs and I was like delivering to the terrible neighborhoods in Baltimore, like Park Heights, and then copping in between deliveries <laughs> right. and shit, trying to smoke crack and deliver pizza and being paranoid <laughs> and getting robbed right. and out of my fucking mind, and seeing goddamn shadow people while I'm trying to drive around in the dark. Yeah, it's not, I don't know how I didn't die, Billy, honestly. Right. I really don't know how I didn't die. Mm. It's a fucking mess, all of it. Um, had a, some car accidents, you know, wrecked some cars. Um, didn't kill anybody. Didn't die. Thank God. Uh, got publicly embarrassed. Like, tried to steal some shit from Rite Aid and run out of this little mall we had in town. And, like, the fucking UPS guy tackles me because I'm a bag of bones. <laughs> holds me down till the police arrest me. Mm -hmm. And then getting arrested on, like, it wasn't Christmas Eve. It was, like, December 21st. But my dad, I had, I had all the scams, right? My dad always felt bad for me and Christmas was coming and I didn't want to feel bad at Christmas, not having nothing to give nobody. So he gave me some money to go shopping with. And like my plan was I was going to get high with that money. And then I was going to go to the mall while I was all high and steal a bunch of cool shit to give people. Right. <laughs> it's genius. Uh, but I got high with that money and, and the high wasn't all that good. And like, 
I ended up going to like fucking Safeway to try to steal some fucking planners for people (laughs) and got caught. And like they would have let me go, but I had like fucking probationers. I don't know. Somehow they looked something up and I got locked up. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, man. Uh, Ended up getting prison time, you know, grew up a little bit. I went through their boot camp program that they don't have anymore because it was deemed like illegal for some reason or another. (laughs) I'm not sure why. It wasn't terrible. It was all right. There was a lot of kind of... Where you went out somewhere to the woods or was this in the facility? Um, So in in Jessup, um, where they have a few of the jails, they had a a fenced off area and it was its own separate little jail. It was the boot camp portion of it. And, you know, there was people in different phases and we did all the boot campy stuff like you would and... You had to put this fucking tree on your shoulder with like six other dudes and squat down with it. That shit fucking hurt. That was brutal. If anything, they should have closed it for that motherfucker. (laughs) Um, Lots of fucking running and and training and bullshit. And then for the last two months, you went out on road crew during the day and and picked up trash on the side of the road and shit like that. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't too bad. Um, Got bullied again. Had a situation where... Uh, this guy had gotten into a few fights with some other people and he wasn't like huge or nothing, but he had won the fights. <laughs> uh, and like we were playing some cards for stamps and like I had won his stamps and he, and he took them at the end. And like, I didn't, my body just shut down. Like I wouldn't get out of bed. I played tired all day, even as like the rumor of what was happening made its way around the tier. And pe- my buddies came to say, hey, you want to go do something about that? I'll go with you. And I was like, nah, man, fuck them stamps. I want to go home. I don't want to fuck up my release date. All that bullshit. Right. Dude, I would have fucked up any release date if I could have had the pride of standing up for right. myself. That's the reality. Too scared. To stand. Too fucking scared. Mm-hmm. Too scared. Um, hey, I don't know. Did it save me from dying that day? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Possibly. I don't know. I wasn't much of a fighter. That guy yeah. had won a couple already, right? Oh, and you don't feel good about yourself. Right. It's like, right. Uh, that means so much. You know what? And, and I hadn't thought of this. There was some other fucking bullying that went on there. Uh, my buddy, who was my buddy, but didn't necessarily look out for me all that well, right. uh, had another buddy there that was kind of a dick. And like... Yeah, there was some bullying going on there, too. And I just realizing that, recognizing it for what it was. I wasn't a part of their crew. I was a guy, you know, hanging around to take some of the brunt of the jokes. Right. <laughs> you know, and some other shit. Through those, any of those, did you have times of trying to get clean through your using? Did you go to treatment any more times? Yeah, there was a couple of times I tried getting clean. Um, I can't remember the instances that led to them, if they were emotional bottoms or just... <laughs> running out of fucking options in the moment and not knowing what else to do. Um, Moved out of my house and my mom ended up paying my rent and buying me fucking groceries while I was a roommate with somebody else. Mm. And the person I was a roommate with was a girl who was like, I didn't even know, but was in love with me. And like, I don't know what the fuck was going on there. Why she was letting me live with her. I was trying to move my girlfriend in. Like it was a fucking (laughs) mess. And like, yeah. Yeah, that Jesus Christ. Just all <laughs> kinds of craziness, man. And, and I couldn't take care of me. And were you just so emotionally un, in, like out of tune? Emotionally? Yeah, I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I just thought we were cool. I thought we were buddies and shit. Like the first night I met her, we had gotten drunk and we messed around. But then we ended up never doing that again. And like nine months later, moved in together. I just thought we were friends. I didn't really pick up on the fact that she was hoping something more would eventually come out of that. I right. didn't know. Hmm. Um 
ended up getting a lot of prison time because I stole shit out of that house while I was living with her, like her checkbook, and wrote mm. myself a couple $45 checks out of her bank account and some of her CDs and air conditioners. And mm. ended up, that's still fucking me up. Yeah. <laughs> fucking felonies are still fucking me up, right? Nobody wants to process your credit card payments for your small business when you have forgery on your fucking record. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Right. Huh. Stupid shit. Anyway, um, so yeah, all that stuff. I, I did go to treatment a couple times. Don't know when, where. Tried some different places. I went once for probation because probation wanted me to go. So I went to like this state-funded, terrible fucking rehab that was in the middle of Baltimore in a terrible neighborhood for $55 for 28 days. Yeah. Like, um, I stayed like six, seven. <laughs> I never made it anywhere. I just always left or insurance ran out or whatever it was. And, um, always came home feeling good enough to get to running again. Right. That's what I felt. Like you it know? was a break. Yeah, yeah, it'll be different, you know. I'll do it one last time to say goodbye to the feeling of it, and then I'll be done with it. And the truth was, humans can't say goodbye to feeling okay. (laughs) And that's what the fuck I was seeking at that moment, you know. I got this world telling me I'm a piece of shit, and I'm terrible, and I'm just pleasure-seeking or fucking an abomination. No, I just want to feel okay in my skin. Well, and that's the problem with using is that even if in the beginning it was the world, by the end it was me telling myself I was a piece of shit, and that was based off of me not living by my own fucking morals and values. True, true. At some point along the way, you know, whatever I wanted to be, hoped to be, thought I could be, didn't fucking matter anymore, and it was lying and stealing and cheating and all the shit that I judged everyone else for, I was now doing. So, you know, I've frequently said, like, I didn't come to recovery with a bunch of, like, self-esteem and self-worth, and I probably didn't fucking deserve to. I wasn't a nice person. Yeah. I did a lot of bad shit, and I could fix that. There's a way you can you can rectify that and, and make that better. But that's also not an excuse to continue to run out and do the same shit over and over again, and just be like, well, it's not my fault. <laughs> like... And I, I don't disagree with you. At the end of my road, I was definitely also my biggest critic who thought I was the biggest piece of shit and why the fuck can I get my shit together? Yeah, and let me, What's wrong with me? Let me rephrase. It's not necessarily that I can't look at everyone else and, and their part in it. It doesn't help me get better until I accept some of my part in it as well. Like I have to yeah. look at, you know, the whole picture, the whole picture. Like I got to where I am because of my upbringing, family, sexual abuse, like all that matters. But my role in that matters too. And at some point I have to, you know, take a look at that as well. Well, I guess my my stance is the fact that that's where you and I met ourselves at the end of our, you know, journeys of seeking relief in that direction, right? We met ourselves at this place of, yes, I agree with the world. I too think I am a piece of shit is the programming the world gave us that got us there. It's the fact that the world met us with those behaviors you have make you a piece of shit that got us there instead of them meeting us in a loving way that actually could have changed how we acted. Right. And us meeting ourselves there at the end of our road only in my mind reinforces how fucking wrong they got it. Hmm. You know? Um, yeah, turned 21 in prison. Uh, so I came out ready to experience bars. Right? <laughs> I had never done that before. Um, 
And on my first night out, I said, I'm going to go. I have to report to parole and probation tomorrow. I don't know if they breathalyze. I know they do urinalysis. I'm only going to have three beers tonight. Mm-hmm. First night out of prison. I had my three beers, turned to my buddy, and I'm like, I mean, four is not that big a deal. <laughs> and he convinced me not to, but like the signs, always the signs are there. I'm not healed. I'm still seeking something, you know? All right. Um, so for like a month, it, I was a little off the hook being crazy at the fucking bars in Baltimore. I had never done it before. Apparently, I, I don't, I'm like a blackout drunk in public. <laughs> I just don't remember anything after a certain point. And thankfully, Thanks, Jim. He got me home every time to my door <laughs> and in my bed. And I don't know how, but hey, that's a month of my life. I also probably would not have survived without somebody carrying mm-hmm. me along. Um, I ended up running into, I was on my way back to heroin and cocaine use uh, through this alcohol use, by the way. Um, I had decided one day that that's what I was going to do. I was going to go run into my friend and, and you know do some of that. Uh, but I ended up running into a girl I had dated using. Um, highly attractive girl. Very, very beautiful, right? I don't think that's, I, don't know, I guess it's subjective. I don't know. She was really, really hot. <laughs> so I was like, this girl's amazing. And she looked incredible, right? So here I am coming out of prison. I haven't been around girls for a long time. Here's this woman I dated before. And she's she's clean. And she looks really, really healthy. And I was like, how, what, hi. (laughs) And she told me about NA. That's what she had been doing. And I was like, cool, I'll come, obviously, if you're there. Right. Um, And that, I had been introduced to 12 Steps before. I had been to some NA meetings. Um, The main goal was to pull the wool over whoever's in my life eyes and manipulate them into think something was going well. I never really identified in or heard much. I asked some lady, uh, to be my sponsor because she was, looked really good. Like, I didn't, I was here to not do anything serious. <laughs> um, but uh, I went to this meeting, and, and for the first time in my life, I did actually hear something. And I was like, wow, that's a little different. And like, I started going to these meetings. I also did continue to try to seek that heroin and cocaine on the right. side. Um, but, but I did hear something here. I used the stuff, I peed dirty for parole. I ended up having to make a choice at some point and I I chose, I wanted to try to live this life of something different of abstinence at the time. Um, and, and that began this journey of what I call recovery, although I don't know how much they're different anymore. Um, I got, I ran into a guy in one of my first meetings coming around that time. Uh, that was from my neighborhood who was one of the cool kids. And, like, we had grown up peripherally. We were around the same age. We knew each other. Like, but I was never as cool as he was or hung out with the cool kids like he did. And, like, it was so important that he was in that meeting because there was something about it said, oh, this isn't just where the dorks are. Right? I thought the cool people were still out there and they knew how to get high. Right. (laughs) And the dorks were in this fucking church basement. But, like, him being there said, maybe I can be here and be okay. Um. And it's interesting because I, I just had breakfast with that guy yesterday. Oh, yeah? How old um, were you then? 26-ish, 25? My original clean date was 12-25-2001. So I met this guy in this meeting in the end of 2001. I was 21. Um, and yeah, I'm 43 now. We had breakfast yesterday. He's one of my best friends. Um, 
kind of awesome, but it, he yeah, really had to is. be there that day right. for me to feel like it was all right. Yeah. Um, got a sponsor, worked steps, ended up sleeping with my first sponsor's wife mm. and many more people outside of my relationships, <laughs> caused a bunch of fucking chaos. Our whole group of people that were supporting each other, my sponsor, my girlfriend, our sponsee brothers and sisters and network all just kind of fucking blew up and then i used again um i tried antidepressants somewhere in there while i was clean for the first time they kind of helped had a lot of sexual side effects so they were kind of annoying but i did feel a little better on them um but but interestingly like after relapsing and then coming back or whatever never thought about them again for like 10 years like I don't know why. Yeah, I, I don't know where they went in my brain or where I decided ah oh, that's not the fucking answer. Um, but somewhere I did. Um, ended up in the relapse. It was quick, brutal, ugly. Like lost tons of weight within weeks, and it was just fucking terrible. And in three months, looked as bad as I had ever looked, and was mm. back in the criminal justice system again. Wow, violating shit. Um. Through all that, ended up getting transferred around the criminal, uh, uh, the prison system in Maryland, and ended up in work release and working at a Bob Evans. And I met my wife at Bob Evans as I was attempting to sleep with every waitress at Bob Evans <laughs> at the same time. Um, she working there at the time, or yeah, okay. she was working there. Um, and then also while in this work release, I got passes. At, and visits and stuff and so i got a pass to go home used my pass to go home to go visit somebody from my neighborhood a lady who was now in some kind of long-term rehabilitation center for her drug use instead of prison uh and we had sex in the woods and twins were created mm. um so i got that going on on one end i am ended up meeting a very serious girlfriend on the other i probably told both of them i was serious it didn't play out well there yeah. was lots of anger and hurt people story of my life relationships lots of hurt me lying a lot of that going on um but here i am i got twin daughters i got a serious girlfriend i got an apartment for the first time in my life not because i wanted an apartment i <laughs> thought there was anything to it billy but because this girl that i was currently dating my wife wouldn't spend the night at my mom's house because she said she didn't like the way it felt and mm. that pissed me off because every other girl i'd ever slept with just spent the night there and it was fine wow and i was like god damn it now i gotta get my own fucking apartment to have her <laughs> spend the night so i did um but yeah here i was uh uh I guess at this point, like 24. And trying abstinence or were you? Yeah, yeah. So when I, I relapsed, went to prison, came home, kind of sort of tried to get back into 12 step, but I was like, ended up living in areas where it just wasn't really convenient meeting wise. And the people I knew weren't at the meetings nearby me and really didn't do much for my recovery for the first two or three years. Okay. Um, and then kind of started to get back into my old home group and get back into the recovery scene a little heavier as I saw that my life was not working. But that's well. when you had a few years of abstinence after the work release yeah. program and all that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, trying to do all that, trying to figure out life, trying to understand what the fuck makes us happy. Not really just trying to chase all the things people told me. I was behind on chasing, right? I got to get a career and catch up to all the people that went to college. And, you know, we got to buy a house and we got to do all those things. Right. And 
like let's race 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 to get this shit yeah Yeah. what's the part um and that's kind of how it went switched around jobs got into construction which was intimidating because i was not raised working with my hands at all and knew nothing and it was another place where i showed up not manly enough Mm. um but gaining some of those skills through the apprenticeship and and you know learning on the job was I felt a little better about myself. And that's, I guess, part of the interesting thing. It's like each step of the way as I'm treating my insecurity, it kind of works. You know, I was a, I was in the gym six days a fucking week, always trying to get bigger and bigger and bigger to be big enough that somehow I wouldn't be scared. And like, it did help. Well, <laughs> it and I solve the fucking somebody problem. described this recently. It's like, it's not even exactly the what. It's that figuring out like, hey, I can like, put some effort into stuff i can work at it and i can get better and i can develop some skills and so maybe you know i am whatever you want to say a fucking loser in this area but i don't have to be i have some choices now and it's like uh i forget the the saying it's like the uh, but anyway just knowing that like hey i can work hard and apply myself and get better at things and so you know, having those experiences mm-hmm. of construction or the gym do start mm-hmm. to build some self-worth. Right, right. In our case, and mine, very similar. I always felt not manly enough. I think that helped a little bit as to what those things were. But, mm-hmm. you know, just knowing like, hey, when I apply myself and try, like, I'm not a fucking loser. <laughs> well, and from a therapy standpoint, I would say people feel fucking terrible when they don't have any ability to impact their feeling or situation. And so if I can establish a plan of something that I think might help and actually do the steps to work towards it. Yeah, that feels way better than sitting here doing nothing. Right. You know, Um, it's just a shame that, like, I think I could have put half that effort in in some different directions and probably gotten a lot better results and healthier results. Um, But I did get big and sexy and that was cool. (laughs) I mean, I, I. I never saw it or felt it really. Unfortunately, I, I had the uh, the overinflated ego about it at times. But like, yeah, I mean, it it looked good. I guess it helped me with social acceptability. It helped me with seeking some of these relieving <laughs> things. I saw it. Um, but I guess the way I conceptualize this portion of my life is like working towards all the life building stuff that we talk about or that society talks about. I was getting the wife, getting married, engaged, uh, getting the kids, getting the, you know, I had twins from a different woman. So now I got to have a kid with this woman so that we actually have a kid in the house all the time. Cause that's what families look like. And then we got to buy the house and have the fence and oh, we better get a dog and all those things. And that's what I did. And, and the career, we got to get paid enough. And like none of it ever really felt good. But it felt like there was something to do, right? Oh, well, we're working towards it. It'll feel good later when we get all the shit, right? right? And then I feel like we hit this place where we got the stuff, and then it was just, you just do that every fucking day for the rest of your life, I guess. Fuck. And Well, where did, like, 12 steps and that fit in all that? Like, was that a part of that process? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Of course, I... In this time, we ended up buying a house. We moved to a different area, which was like seven miles away from where I, yeah, I was going to not recovery. To cut but, that off, but I, not everybody knows. So your wife is it, well, at the time, I guess she was, well, you guys had gotten married or you weren't married? We were probably married at this time. Okay. But she isn't in recovery. No. She doesn't go to 12 steps. No, She's no, not, no. doesn't have addiction history. So yeah. So all that 
recovery part is kind of what I'm going to say, quote unquote, your shit. Your yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so she never treated it like that. There was always space for me to do anything I needed to do to take care of myself. I believe, um, I got the suggestion to include her in more of it a lot of times. And a couple of times I tried and I don't know if it was a boring waste of time for her (laughs) or if I couldn't get past the guilty feeling I had about it being a boring waste of time for her. Mm. But either way, it just didn't go very far. Right. Um, So it was a very separate thing. It was that was something I did off by myself. Um, Probably an escape at times to just get the fuck out of the house and away from the kids who want my goddamn (laughs) attention that I don't have to give to them uh, because I don't feel good. Um, but it was heavily involved, but we moved to this new area and I'm going to meetings and there's the crews and the clicks and like, I don't know any fucking body and I'm not feeling welcomed or, you know, and I'm just getting annoyed by it. And I ended up at a meeting where I felt a little more welcomed. And of course it's a meeting where some other new person to the area didn't feel welcomed and said, fuck it. I'm going to start my own meeting. Fuck all these people (laughs) that have been around here forever. So like I ended up being like the senior member at the meeting. There wasn't many mentors. There wasn't many people to challenge me. And like, that's probably not a good situation for me in most of my life. Now, maybe it's a little more reasonable now. I got a little bit better idea of self-reflection. At that point, I was just a guy unchecked. I was a guy with no better information around. So I was just running on mine. Um, Yeah. So we got into the slog of, hey, we got all the stuff that the world says will make us happy and that we need for a good life and that. This doesn't feel like a good life for me. Um, so I, I, I started to struggle badly with depression. I started to struggle to get out of bed to go into work, um, sometimes multiple days a week. I was treating that with like some kind of pornography in the evening. So at night, I'm like staying awake into the wee hours of the morning, looking at this stuff that's bringing some relief to the way I feel. But then in the morning, I can't get out of bed for work. And then I'm just not going back to bed. I'm getting back on the computer like it was. It was ugly at times. And then there was times it wasn't none of that. And it was just, I don't get out of bed for a few days. And like, I can remember sitting in my house in the evening in my bedroom in the back of the house. It was all one floor. And like my wife and kids are out there in the living room and I can hear them laughing and shit. And there's a bridge like a mile from my house and I want to go drive off of it. Right. I don't, I didn't have joy. I didn't have happiness. I didn't have contentment. It was just everything felt different levels of miserable. Mm. Um, and I treated myself with being a getting into shit addictively, obsessive and compulsively. I look, we can call those words shameful. I'm not looking at it shameful now. I get it. What I was doing was trying to find a way to fucking feel better at every step of the way. Right. I was meeting myself at the level of how terrible I felt, but we can use those words and I'm not offended by it. Like I got into video games at times and played them obsessively. I got into golf and played it obsessively. My wife was, uh, reminded me of some of these things yesterday when we were talking about it. I mm-hmm. got into this local music magazine shockwave that like went and interviewed hard rock music and shit for a while. And that was a thing being like a online personality for them. Kind of, kind of a precursor to the podcast. Yeah. Um, I got into beach volleyball for a while. Um, we even 12 step stuff, uh, every Saturday going out with the guys or planning three convention trips a a year with the guys, like getting into shit, anything that's new and feels good for a little while, you know, and then just ram it into the ground until it doesn't feel good anymore. (laughs) 
and I have a question about that because I have some of that, but I don't typically tend to do things to what I would consider an addictive place. But I do have a lot of like I'm always interested in new and adventure and and new things. And I heard recently in a some relationship stuff that I've been working on what they consider that is like that's a relationship need called novelty. And I guess like most things that become addictive, it's like when you take a good thing and turn it into something harmful, (laughs) you know? So I guess, did you feel like it was more towards the novelty side or like novelty run amok to where it was causing issues in your life? No, no. I want to say you're going to make me do this, but you ain't making me do nothing. (laughs) I'm going to tell it myself. Um, So in Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, they actually address this issue of novelty in relationship um, and and how the new love is the thing we want, not necessarily love, right? Mm. We like that first three to six months of the relationship, and then we chase trying to get that back for the next few years while we're miserable or seeking it in other places outside. Um, And yeah, that is a huge part of what I go for. It's really, can I? Will you give me permission to, ma'am, is what I'm going for, right? Because once you give me that, I, okay, that was the goal, <laughs> to feel like right. that was enough, you know? And so it was always about the novelty of the the, the higher than, it wasn't about the, the number, but each individual one meant I was enough again. Mm. And after you've done that for me once or allowed me to once, it's not. It doesn't matter as much the second time. I'm not getting as big of a hit of enoughness when you let me the second time. You already let me once. So it sounds like you're talking specifically more about relationships. I guess I'm thinking novelty on life experiences like the beach volleyball or the other outside interests or all these different things. Like that, I think of life novelty more is what I'm referring to. Well, I think in me, in my mind, anything I do one place, I'm doing it everywhere, you know, in different versions of it. But that's one I can see really intently. Um, I, I guess, yeah, but I, I almost, I don't feel like it's the novelty portion of it that makes it. I think it's the fact that it's new and there's a lot more interesting and learning to do about it that's fun because I actually like the thing I'm doing. And so it's a very good distraction at all times to be there instead of in my life where it doesn't feel good. Hmm. I can sit at home and look at videos about volleyball techniques or read about volleyball or, or text the girl that I'm talking to at volleyball. And that's not home. That's where it feels good somewhere yeah. else. So that's and what I, it is for me. And I guess that's that weird balance, right? Cause at least what I know, what they say, like for quality of life type stuff, like you should be learning new things right. and experiencing new things. But it's like when we take that to a place maybe of avoidance or whether yeah. we're neglecting certain responsibilities because of course you know at our age we probably can't go out and be the next you know world champion volleyball player maybe but probably not right (laughs) right it was like and so if that's our approach you know like maybe that's a sign that it's not so healthy yeah (laughs) yeah Hmm. but i guess i I guess i'm just i i and maybe there's a justification like i was just recently talking with my wife about this of like I like novelty. Like, that's a part of me that I like to travel. I like to go do different things. Like, I was told her the other day, I'm like, within the next year, I want to learn the piano. Like, oh, I just sure. want to learn a learn piano. Learn a violin, like, dude. I need a violin player. Yeah. 
So anyway, <laughs> and it's just a matter of like I like that about myself that I'm curious, curious and inquisitive, and I want to learn new things, right. and I want to have new experiences, and I want to go to the same places we've been before. Right. I want to take trips new places. Um. So yeah. So I'm just just fine. That's not bad. <laughs> I guess in in my mind, the the whole goal though, it's not about whether I want novelty or not. It's can I treat the underlying guy under there that doesn't feel okay right now, right here in the moment. Right. Because if I can do that, it doesn't matter that I like novelty. I won't do it to a to a place or a point where it impacts my ability to take care of this guy right here, right now, in this moment. Right. Or you know am what I, I mean? using it to a point of avoidance yeah. where I'm ignoring? So as long as my focus is on taking care of the guy underneath of it, I feel like I can keep pumping him up and I don't need as unhealthy of a thing mm. to fix right. it. Right. And that's my my goal over time is just keep healing him to use less, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And I know my approach to a lot of things earlier was like to be like all in 100%. You know what I mean? Right. Like if I was going to do something new, it was to the exclusion of family responsibilities or relationship yeah. responsibilities or household responsibilities. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because I'm doing this now. Don't you see how fucking great this is? Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Have you found that listening to the Recovery Sort of podcast has helped you in your day-to-day journey? Please share the message of compassion and well-being with the loved ones in your life. Connect with us more at recoverysortof.com, Facebook, Instagram, threads, YouTube, and other social media spaces. And have a great week.